Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Darkness had covered the land. The man who was king was killed in battle, and the new one was corrupt. Immorality plagued not just the king, but all the people, and a kingdom that was once ruled with justice looked a lot different. Things that were growing were now not. Kids no longer played outside because of fear of their lives, of, of being kidnapped or of being safe. And, and parents, grandparents didn't want to go outside much either. Things were not looking good. If you don't get the scene yet, you all should remember this. Mufasa's death is a terrible tragedy. But to lose Simba, who had barely begun to live, for me, it is a deep, personal loss. So it is with a heavy heart that I assume the throne. Yet out of the ashes of this tragedy, we shall rise to greet the dawning of a new era in which lion and hyena come together in our great and glorious future. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Taylor Spielman. I'm the youth pastor here, and um, something we haven't really been able to do so far, um, but just wanted to share with you guys. But Brittany and I are very appreciative and grateful for the way that you all have um, made us feel at home and, and cared for us over the last four months, and, and we're thankful for the meals and the things like that, but even more importantly for how you guys have prayed for us and encouraged us. And so, as Matthias would say, from the bottom of our hearts, we're forever grateful. So, church, thank you, really. Um, but uh, there's one other thing I, I think I need to clear up uh, this morning before we begin. is uh, When uh, Brian was sharing a little bit about us before uh, uh, we came here, he mentioned that, that we didn't have a dog, but we had a cat. And I heard there was a bunch of groaning uh, in the church, and, and so I just want to take a second to clear up uh, what that was about. We actually do have a dog. Uh, this is Zoe, and by dog I mean cat, but see about this, our cat Zoe um, can behave actually a lot like a dog. Um, she's got a ton of personality. She'll come when you call, um, but Zoe will, uh, you know, sleep on the bed and stuff like that, and if you don't think that's cute enough, 
There's another picture of her. So uh, I just want you to know not to really judge a book by its cover um, until you get to meet meet her. But I do also love dogs, so maybe someday we'll add one to the family. But um, we just got back from California. We were able to go for Thanksgiving, and we were able to see uh, my parents and her parents as well. But my parents growing up were church planners. And so one of the things that Thanksgiving kind of always had is I always had uh, just an interesting group of people because my parents would invite those who had been coming to church for a while or maybe had just showed up that Sunday before to come to Thanksgiving. So as kids, we always like, like, well, who knows who's going to be there this year? But one of the things that my brother and I did is we would kind of start this contest and, and we would ask anyone who was willing to weigh themselves before dinner and then to weigh afterwards and there was a prize given to the person who would gain the most weight however the problem i had is that i love uh that sparkling cider and so i'd always fill up on sparkling cider and then i have to use the bathroom before we'd get to weigh in so i never won but i sure tried hard but as matt touched on a little bit is is the season of thanksgiving and christmas and and kind of when you uh this time that's hyped up to be so glorious and filled with hope isn't always that way for, for all of us. In fact, throughout our lives, we'll probably all experience some pretty crummy Thanksgivings or Christmas or this, this kind of family season because of what life brings, whether it's kind of brokenness in the home or, or sickness or loss or maybe it's rebellion from our kids, whatever it may be we're actually told we'll probably more likely experience it than we won't. And yet, when we're in those moments, it kind of brings us to those given questions of, God, what are you doing? Or why am I in this right now? Or how long do I have to pray before you'll answer me or before you will show up? And yet, we're not the only ones who have, answered these, or who have asked these questions. Right, we're going to look at a guy this morning who asked the same questions that we will ask today or, or some of us are asking you know, over this uh, holiday season. And, and the rest of us will probably ask these questions later down the road. And of course, God knew that this was going to happen. And so he gives us some of the answers or he gives us how to approach it. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Habakkuk. So this is one of the minor prophets. If you open up about halfway in Psalms, go about two-thirds, and you should be in names that you aren't really used to seeing that much. Um, but a little trick, there, it goes HZ, HZ, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. So Habakkuk is the first one, but get past Jeremiah and Isaiah, and you should be getting pretty close to Habakkuk. But what has been happening is, if you all remember King Josiah... King Josiah was the king of Judah. The northern kingdom had already been wiped out. And King Josiah, we remember him because he was the kid who was king, right? He was king since he was eight years old. And Josiah was one of the, very, one of the few kings who actually did good. A lot of kings in Judah did okay, but Josiah was one of the only ones who actually got rid of the idols and got rid of the things that were bringing people away from God. Yet Josiah was killed in battle. And the guy who replaced him was this guy named Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was, you could just say, a disaster. 
because Josiah had also discovered some scripture in the temple and he had kind of brought God's word back to the people. And then Jehoiakim does the opposite. They actually burned a lot of the scrolls and the texts that they had of that time period. And it wasn't like today where we can just go to the store and buy Bibles, right? He was burning a lot of what they had. And what we've seen throughout history is if you mess with God's word, God's probably going to show up. But God hadn't done anything yet. And we get to this guy, Habakkuk. And we don't know much at all, really, about Habakkuk other than the time period that he served in. Um, But we do know that his name meant the embracer or the hugger. And so you think Habakkuk was one of those guys who, whatever whatever you were kind of experiencing throughout the day, it didn't matter if you were introverted or extroverted, Habakkuk would come and greet you and give you a big hug. Right? It's like our church's version of Toby Axelson, right? You may be having the worst day and you may not want to talk to him and he'll come, you'll give him a handshake and he'll kind of knock your hand out of the way and give you a big hug and like pick you up and you're like, oh, okay. But that was Habakkuk. That's about all we know about him. But Habakkuk asked some of the same questions that we are today. He was the prophet And as you all know, prophet is is a messenger sent from God to kind of deliver what's going to happen if if the people don't turn back to God. And yet we actually never hear of any of the ministry or the work that Habakkuk did with Judah because we only get this interaction he has with God. Because Habakkuk cries out to God um, in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice justice goes forth perverted. Right? This is the age-old problem of unanswered prayer. Habakkuk, being a man of God, had probably been praying this for quite some time. And he's saying, God, when will you show up? When will you answer my prayer? I'm in this nation surrounded by wickedness, and you don't seem to be anywhere. Haven't we all been there? Habakkuk's a man of God. He's praying for revival or change or for God to answer his prayer, and yet all he hears is silence. And even if you're not there yourselves in your own family at this point, maybe you can look at America, or you look at the world, and you see the culture and, and the lack of God in just about anything, and you're like, God, how far do we have to go away from you before you're going to do something about it? I remember my sophomore year of college. I had taken our January term off, which you could have taken one class in January or not. Um, And I had uh, gone and done a little bit of traveling, and I went back to school, and I'd been living in this house off campus um, with six other guys. We had a six-bedroom house. It was in Spokane. Everything was pretty cheap, so we were able to do that. But I got back to school, and someone forgot to tell me that three new people were living in our house. And so I had figured out that there, well, this guy that I barely knew had been living in my room, sleeping in my bed, using my stuff for this whole month, and no one cared to tell me anything about it. 
So I had to kind of move and share room with a friend. And that was just kind of one of those aspects of my life that felt like things were falling apart. I also was in a class that was Pacific World History, and I thought, oh, cool, it'd be fun to learn about, like, Tahiti and Hawaii and all the islands and stuff like that. And it ended up being all about ancient Chinese history. And that is like, you know, our history is 200 years. Their history is like 4,000 years. And they've got so many names. And I had no idea what was going on. So I'm failing this class. Uh, I've got a pretty terrible living situation. The friends that I thought I had made my freshman year kind of disappeared my sophomore year. And my dad had been diagnosed with cancer. And I just felt like each area of my life was falling apart in a different way. So I sat down and I was filling out some transfer applications to go somewhere else. I thought, God, if you just answer my prayer, like, let me go somewhere else. Like, let me just leave this behind and go somewhere and start new. But of course, I wasn't hearing much of an answer at that point. And so Habakkuk waits for God to answer here. But... In the midst of that, one of the things that I've kind of have wrestled with for a while, but was wrestling with kind of even this week thinking and the last few weeks preparing for this is, okay, what do we, how do we interact with God when stuff isn't going well? Like, is it okay to be angry at God or to be frustrated or all that stuff? And, and I, I, I stumbled upon this quote by John Piper and I thought he um, presented it in a really good way. He said, it is wrong, always wrong, to disapprove of God for what he does and permits. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? It is arrogant for finite sinful creatures to disapprove of God for what he does and permits. We may weep over pain, we may be angry at sin and Satan, but God does only what is right. Yet, sometimes I still kind of have this awkwardness of like, okay, God, I've prayed the same prayer a lot and I, I'm not getting anything and I don't know what else to do. And it reminds me of, of when we were in high school and, and we first kind of would start hanging out with girls, my brother and I, and we'd bring them home. And then, of course, after they leave, my dad would sit us down and he'd be like, well, what do you like about them? Well, what are you, what are you looking for? What, where do you see your future? Or whatever. And what's their family like? And it's like, Dad, I just, just hanging out. It's like so awkward. And so we kind of developed this pattern of like we would kind of be secretive of stuff because we just didn't want to have those awkward conversations with my parents about all that stuff. But then we would try and find out what my, I have an older brother, younger sister, I'd try and find out what they were up to because then I'd bring it up at the dinner table and then my parents would have to ask them about it. So anyways, sometimes it's awkward to talk to God. It's awkward to bring up our stuff with him. But God responds, he breaks his silence to Habakkuk Um, chapter 1, verse 5, God responds. He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. Right? Habakkuk calls out to God. And then God says, Habakkuk, look, I've been answering your prayer this whole time, but you have been so specific in what you wanted, and you are just a human, and I'm God, and you are totally incapable of understanding that what I'm doing, but I've been working this whole time, and this is what I'm doing right here. 
God says he's going to not just say, he's not going to save Judah. He promised that because they turned away from God, that there was going to be punishment. But he says, look, I'm going to bring this nation of Babylon in and they're going to take over. How about that for answer to prayer? You asked and I, I answered, right? Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. And that's what happened here to Habakkuk. And he finds himself, uh-oh, what did I pray for? But this nation of Babylon wasn't just like a big group of people. Like they were crazy. You can read about them in Jeremiah 50 or in some kings, but they were ruthless. They did a lot of stuff that I'm not going to say because there's kids in the room, but they would just treat their enemies pretty badly and they would take over. And they were known for being having chariots and horsemen. And in modern day, that's the equivalent of like America's Air Force and Navy. They had the military force to do whatever they needed. I, this is, these are the kind of people you don't want to meet in a dark alley, right? And uh, here's a picture of, of what, what they might look like. Don't mess with Matt after the Red Sox win the World Series, I guess, because he might go pretty crazy on you. But uh, more realistically, this is a little picture of, of the Babylonians. And Habakkuk, well, he gets his answer to prayer, but he doesn't like it. He says that he responds to God. He says, you, uh, I'll pull it up for us real quick. Uh, uh, 1, 12, and 13. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes then to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk's saying, God, look, I know Judah's not good. We're not good people, but how can you use this nation that's just treacherous and terrible to, to answer the call of, of your supposedly people. But what we realize is God doesn't always answer prayer in the way that we're looking for. Right? I, in my college years, I wanted to leave. I wanted to just get a transfer and to go out. But of course, that is not how God worked it out. We'll get back to that in a bit. But uh, I really liked how um, there's a poet, William Cowper, and he talked about how God works in this way. He said, God moves in a mysterious way. One thing that you learn about God after you live with him for a while is that he's always doing the unexpected. Not because he delights in puzzling or fooling us, but because the variety of his workings are so infinite that our feeble human minds cannot grasp them. He said, Right? That idea of, look, God is so much bigger than we can even understand. And we kind of see that over time as we spend time with him. And so God responds again to Habakkuk. And he says, there we go. In verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God's contrasting here the Babylonian view of like, I'm big and strong and I'm going to take over and we're going to rule the world as our people with the view of, of what, how, how God calls us to be. God calls us not to do it on our own, but to believe in who he is and what he can do. 
And this statement, though small, is actually basically central to all of New Testament theology as, as what it means to be righteous is what Romans is about. How to live is all about is what Galatians is, and by faith is Hebrews. And yet this comes back from the age-old question of, of God, are you answering prayer? Are you going to answer my prayer? And he says, if you just believe in what I'm doing, you can trust me with that. But if I told you to leave today just by saying, hey, you just got to believe a little bit more. We just got to trust that God does work. It, it wouldn't change us that often, but, but we actually find some real practical things through the story in the life of Habakkuk um, that we can take home with us. So if, if you're following along in your bulletin, you can, you can look on the back um, for that. But the first one is this. What do I know about who God is? Right, even in the midst of Habakkuk not wanting the answer that God gives, he says, God, in verse 12, are you not from everlasting? Oh, my Lord, my God, my Holy One. Right, we fall in one of two categories. We either want to solve our problems when we face them on our own and immediately, or we fall kind of on the other side and we think whatever's happening, we kind of blow it up and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we kind of think, oh, this is overwhelming. I can't do this. But Habakkuk kind of says, hey, take a step back and stop and think and remember who God is. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting? Even in the midst of this prayer that he doesn't want, he doesn't like the answer to, he says, God, I know you are everlasting. You are beyond the constraints of time. You are beyond history. In fact, you actually created history and I know you are eternal and God, I'll trust even though I'd like you to change your answer that you know best. Right? People in Habakkuk's day were saying, hey, God's dead. He's not working at all. He's not here. And Habakkuk reminds us, himself reminds us, hey, God is everlasting. He's working even when it looks like he's not. And the second thing is this. You can ask, what do I know about how God works? Well, the easiest way to do this is to see God, is actually to look back and to look at what he's done. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. When God did something for his people, he would call them to, to uh, make an altar. And that altar would be a way of remembering what God had done. Right? They'd place a stone or they'd place like 12 stones or whatever. One example is when they crossed the Jordan River and entered the Promised Land, God says, stop and make an altar so that when you pass back through this area, you will remember me, what I did, that I parted the water, and that you could walk across. And for us, I think one of the easiest ways we can do that is to start with the little things. What are those little answers to prayer that God gives us every day? Whether it's keeping us safe, getting us through the day, those little things, and then we start to look at the bigger things. Okay, let's look back. How has God answered prayer? And the, another great way of looking at it is we're all in this room because of prayer. Because someone prayed for us, or someone brought us to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we have a basis to look back at everything of what God's done through that, even in the midst of what's going on. The third thing is this, and this is my favorite one. What can God do? When we, if we're able to ask ourselves, what can God do? We're probably going to find ourselves in a pretty good mindset for facing our problems. 
Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And that's what we see in this story. If Habakkuk back says, God, come save the people. And God's like, look and be amazed. Because you would not even believe what I'm about to tell you that I'm going to do. And the fourth is this. Uh, Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. What can I do? Habakkuk says, God, until your prayer is answered, you can tell me this, but until you show up, I'm going to watch for you every day. I'm going to wait for you to show up. I'm going to be ready for when you come. And I'm going to wait expectantly of you, God. Now, I thought about going to art school, but God took me in a different way. But here's a little illustration of, of what can happen, how this looks like. So, uh, you and I, we're Scooby-Doo. And this octopus is whatever we're facing. The child in front of us, the, the, the problem that seems way too big to answer. And when we look at it, it seems daunting, right? It seems like it's too big. There's no way we're going to be able to handle it. But this is what happens. If we can fix our eyes on on God and realize that God is incredibly bigger and more powerful and greater than whatever it is in front of us. In this case, with Habakkuk, God is far bigger than the problems that my nation has. Is that our our problem or our trial starts starts to look smaller when we bring God into it. Habakkuk says basically like, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're doing, but I will trust that you are mightier than I am. And sometimes these prayers are not answered in this life. Sometimes the disease and the sickness and the reason why we lost someone we love, sometimes we never know the answer. But we have the hope of eternal glory, of what God is going to do, of what we will no longer have to experience when we join him in heaven. What glory is that? And yes, I would love it if God would answer our prayers quicker and sooner, but we have this glimpse of hope that we can hold on to, that even in the hardest and the darkest days, that he says, I'm coming soon. I'm going to take you home with me. Well, when God answered my prayer, when I was in that sophomore year of college, it wasn't this big, grand, spectacular God moment of he showed up and he took away my problems, even though I wish it was. But it was this kind of slow working of, of how God worked in, in kind of different situations. And, and one of those was right before I'd gone back to school, I'd visited a friend, and uh, he is a, a musical guy, and he had played this song, and it, it just talked about basically how how regardless of who you are, God calls you his own. And I had kind of sneak recorded it on my phone while he was playing it, um, kind of for a couple of us. And I remember that in my worst days, I would just play it on repeat at night in order to fall asleep because I just felt so inadequate and worthless and that everything was chaotic. And that just that reminder of, hey, God calls you his own. He calls you his own, and that was what was it helped me to be able to fall asleep. But it was that slow kind of little word of encouragement that I would get through that song before bed. 
And I ended up failing that Pacific World History class, and I didn't take it again because I would have failed it again. But God kind of just got me through one more day. I had some encouragement from, like, my counselor at school and stuff. that Like, hey, just, just push on a little bit longer. And I ended up doing better in school the next year and stuff, but I was able to do okay in the rest of my classes. And some of God's answer was, hey, you just got to wait. Your living situation isn't good, but you just got to wait till next year. And that next year, God brought one of my best friends that happened to end up, I happened to ask this random guy I didn't know to be my room, and he became one of my best friends. And so God said, like, look, she got to wait a little bit, and I'm, that's how I'm going to answer your prayer. But whether we're waiting on the Lord now, or we'll be waiting on him someday, the best place to really be is to be on our knees. Right? We see uh, this kind of idea of strength and independence, like that picture of Matt, where we can be big and powerful and strong and we can solve our problems. But the best place to really be is on our knees. Over uh, One of the things my sister actually said just a couple of days ago um, in reflecting on college, she's now post-college, she's going to graduate school, but she said, I feel like an adult now. I didn't feel like I knew I was an adult in college, but now I feel like an adult. She said, you know, college students think they know what life's about and, and they know how to do things, but I really didn't, and now I do. And I thought to myself, man, like, I, don't, I don't, definitely don't feel that way now. I don't necessarily feel like an adult, but I just definitely don't feel like I figured everything out. And I just kind of was thinking, of, like, our world tells us to be independent, that we can kind of make it on our own, that we don't need anyone to tell us how to live or what to do. But yet God has created us to actually be dependent humans. We're created to be in need. And I love that we get this true and practical illustration of faith from Habakkuk where it's this roller coaster of doubts and, and, and waiting on God and ups and downs. But it leaves us in just the beauty of the journey of faith because that's how God intended it for us to be. He intended it to be a journey and to go through those hard times because the conclusion of all that presents us as dependent humans. We're in need of God. We're in need of healing. We're in need of restoration. We're in need of hope. We're in need of a holy and a perfect and a sovereign king that will rule over us. Right? It presents us with a need for Jesus Christ and for his saving grace. Because really, we can't do it on our own. And so don't leave without missing this. The bottom line of all this is our dependency is God's ability. And what I mean by that is that when we are dependent and we're on our knees and we're looking to God, it gives Him the opportunity to move and to work and to change our hearts. The ability to shape us and the willingness to be saved by God and by what He can do for us. If it was easy, would it really be called faith? If it was easy, would we really even need God in the first place? If we could answer our own prayer or predict what was going to happen, then what, what would be the point of God? And, and yet, I know we would love it if we could get more out of him at times. But the lesson that God wanted us to learn, and the lesson God wanted Habakkuk to learn, 
is that the righteous shall live by faith. Not by what we can do, but by faith. By believing that God is moving when we cannot see him, that God is moving when we cannot feel him, and that God is moving regardless of the situation that we are in. We're going to close with a song. But as we get to the bridge of this song, uh, it, it says, uh, as you fall, meaning God, as, as God falls, we fall to our knees. And you get this picture of like, when we're on our knees and God, that's when God can come close to us. And when we're calling out, and when we, we realize that we're imperfect and we're sinners, that's when God will show up and will work in us. Join me in a word of prayer. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that regardless of our failures and our lack of feeling worthy and, and the things that come up, God, that, that you still accept us and you love us anyways. God, I pray for those in this room who are going through something hard. God, whatever it may be, just that you would uh, come close to them, that they would be able to feel you, that they would be able to feel the comfort of who you are and knowing how you work even when they cannot see what you are doing. God, I pray for um, just everyone that that we would all be able to just be reminded of, of who you are and how you work and God, that we would take note of this so that when we face those hard situations, God, that, that we'll look to you, we'll stand at our watch post waiting expectantly Thank you for your love for us, for sending your son to die for us. In Jesus' name, amen.